0: live presented by Kaleida health
1: leading you into the weekend chris brown maddie glad with you here on a friday edition of one bills live and uh you know we've all got our plans lined up for the weekend um i have a meat raffle i'm attending tonight Ooh-hoo-hoo. maddie's got, uh. maddie's got a, a better weekend than i do admittedly. Um, You got Porch Fest tomorrow. Porch Fest
2: tomorrow, which fingers crossed the rain holds off. It's supposed to rain in the morning, early afternoon. So hopefully that doesn't cancel any of the bands that are planning to play. Heading to
1: the PGA on Sunday. Heading to the
2: PGA on Sunday. We are going to be one amongst uh, many fish in the sea, basically, Mm. on Sunday because it's going to be packed. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be working through crowds all day.
1: Um, I got to ask you this because. When I moved to Western New York permanently, or, or 25 years ago, uh, I had never heard of a meat raffle before. Now, are you in that same boat? Like, you had never heard of a meat raffle I until you moved here? I am in that boat. Okay. I had
2: never heard of a meat raffle. And I was
1: like, what is... And people are like, oh, my God, they're awesome. <laughs> like, they're unbelievable. It's, uh, it's entertaining. You haven't even... I haven't
2: been to one still. Oh, you haven't been to one I haven't one been okay. to one. I, I want to, to go.
1: I think this is my... I think it's my third.
2: Do I have that right? I think
1: it's my third. Um because the first two were kind of spread out. So now it's now it's kind of slipping my mind. Did I was I unable to go to the second one? I can't even remember. Anyway, I've been to been one to at least. And um it's it's a show. I mean it I mean you hear the words like meat raffle, meat raffle doesn't really
2: What are we sell doing?
1: It. Like you know what I mean? It doesn't it's not like, "Oh yeah, I want to be a part of that." Yeah. But if you go to one, They're pretty lively, I got to say. And Are you going in with a plan?
2: uh, Or are you just there to enjoy the evening?
1: Well, I mean, well, there are some people when you go to these, they are hell-bent on winning something. Yeah. So they are heavy on the ticket buying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, your best chance at success. But there are inevitably the people, I mean, this is no matter where you go, whether you're going to a fundraiser and there's a basket raffle, whether you go to a meat raffle, there is someone that seems to inevitably be winning the lion's share of the loot. And you're just like, what, what's going on? Did they did they just buy, like, $400 worth of tickets and they're just cleaning up on everything? Or are they just that lucky? You know what I mean? So there always, ha- always seems to be one of those people. Um. So I'll tell you a very quick story. It's the first meat raffle we go to, it's in the middle of a snowstorm in February. Of course it
2: Fortunately, is. Fortunately, it was
1: only five miles from our house, so we didn't have to go far. So here we are trudging through the snow. It's like a, it's like eight inches on the ground, and it's still snowing the whole night. So we get to the place, and, you know, it's you know, the atmosphere is great. It's nice. People are happy. They're having fun. And, um, you know, the stuff's going, and everybody at our table has – Except for me and my wife and this other couple have won stuff. So there's like 12 people at the table. Eight people, like individually, (laughs) like the eight other couples, all of the eight other people have won something. So the night's winding down. This other couple that hadn't won anything finally won like ribs or something. And so me and my wife still haven't won anything. (laughs) So we get to the, it's like one of the last two things that they're raffling off. I want a stick of pepperoni.
2: I was going to say, did you, get so a I, pa- did you get a pack of bacon or something? I didn't go home
1: empty-handed. I got go. a long, you know, a stick of pepperoni. Stick of pepperoni. <laughs> I was like, all right, at least we didn't get shut oh out. My. So I am hoping I hope, for much yeah. better luck tonight, um, especially heading into grilling season. Like, you win some meat in February. It's, like, it's hard to kind of yeah. get excited about it because you're not going to turn it around mm-hmm. for a meal for a while. I mean, I always suppose you could slow roast them in your oven or something, like if you got ribs or something. But knowing it, we're we're rolling right into grill season here. You know, I'm I'm kind of hoping to get a couple of things in the cooler, which is the other thing. You bring your cooler, although some people say that's bad karma because now you're like
2: you're thinking expecting that you're win to win, the, okay. and that's
1: not how you do it. But I don't think I want to roll up without a cooler. Like you gotta you gotta be prepared. Yeah. It. I mean, it's basically like an indoor tailgate. That's kind of what they're like. That's what a meat raffle is. Wow. That's how I would describe it for people that have not experienced it before. So looking forward to that. Hopefully it's a – we'll let you know how I did on Monday. Yeah. Um, Got to
2: report back. I will. It'll be you and I on Monday And I will equally
1: want a a report back on –
2: I should have some, PGA some good stories. Sunday. I went on Tuesday. So we went Tuesday with some of our players to be a part of an event that was called Beyond the Green. And it was a really cool event, um, which was a bunch of first tee kids. So um, it's a bunch of kids that they get involved in, in golf. And so they had a, an entire day of activities. And the day, I think, ended with... A QA from a bunch of our players. So Josh was there, uh, Tyler Bass, Kyle Allen, Matt Barkley, and Kyrie Elam all came to speak to the group of kids and I helped do a QA with them. And Josh Allen is is a big deal over there. We oh, know yeah. he's a big deal quarterback, but these kids lost their freaking minds when I introduced Josh Allen. Because he was in the back, so we kind of hit how, what's
1: the age of these kids about like
2: I would say the age range was from maybe 8 to 18. It was a big range of kids who were getting involved in golf or had already been golfing and got to be a part of a couple events um, at Oak Hill this weekend. And so it was an awesome event. And the players showed up. We hit him in the back because it was a surprise for the kids at the event. So I started announcing the players, and we saved Josh Allen for last. Of so, like, we've got some Buffalo Bills players, you know. They're right next door to Rochester, so why not bring them here for a day? And so the kids start to go wild. And I could barely even announce Josh Allen's name because it was so loud at that point. So I was able to get Josh Allen out, and they were like, Wah! pulled out their <laughs> phones, and, and of course you, you do. Video. yeah you do a and a with a group of kids and Josh is sitting um up on a stand with us and they only wanted to ask questions to Josh and it was so fun to see him interact with those kids and I know a lot of our players are out there um the entire week um enjoying the opportunity to be at a PGA championship that is kind of right down the road from us so when Josh was being carted from the bus that we got off of to the event because it was maybe like a 3 minute golf cart ride that turned into a 5 to 10 minute golf cart ride depending on how busy the area was but Josh had a hat on and a sweatshirt and was kind of trying to keep his head down Low because profile, yeah. and it was a practice day like Tuesday the tournament had not started by Tuesday so there weren't too not many a lot people, of people there in the and so you're thinking okay this this shouldn't be a big deal but one it was like mine 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 oh my josh, gosh there's josh there's josh there's josh ah there's josh allen and then yeah. kids started to run after the golf cart they all had like golf balls that they wanted signed they had the flags that they wanted signed and it got to the point where we had state troopers running alongside the golf cart Secret to service. try to protect <clears throat> josh from all of these happy excited kids who wanted autographs which i'm sure he signed a few of them but it was very interesting for me to see him out of his element in the building or out of his element of a football game cuz i mean we get to see him here we get to see him on sundays but i haven't been at many events since he's became like a big name a true celebrity yeah. and this isn't this is in, this is in our backyard realize. so everybody knows who josh allen is in rochester mm-hmm. and it was like tiger woods was there basically yeah. it was it was a wild realization to have like this guy is a big freaking deal now. Yeah. Like it and was he was almost bigger than the golfers yeah. there when when he was passing by and and everybody was looking to see who is this guy on the golf cart and once people found out it was Josh Allen people took off.
1: Yeah. It's yeah, and that's not and he and look, he handles that stuff great. He kind of knows what comes with you know his position, his notoriety you know, the recognizable face that he now is for the league. And so I think he knows what comes with it and he handles it the best that he can, but I'll never forget last year at training camp. He's got to come off the practice field and get to us on one bills live to sit with me and Steve for an interview during training camp. And he's like, we can hear the cacophony of the crowd (sighs) getting louder as he's coming closer you know, and he's trying to accommodate as many people as he can on the way by, but we gotta get him in the chair because we're on the clock for you mm-hmm. know for the interview and everything. So he gets to us, he sits down in the chair with like two minutes before we come back from break and he goes, <sighs> And I was just like, You all right? I was like, You're doing a great job handling, but like, you good? And he's like, Yeah, I'm fine. But you know, you could tell it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot that you gotta and I mean you think about how it's 24-7 football during the season for these guys as soon as they get back in August until the season's over hopefully, you know, wherever the Super Bowl is being held. So there's that demand, and then all of this stuff off the field. It's like there's no off switch when you're that guy. You know what I mean? So it's a lot. From August to middle of February, it's going.
2: Mm-hmm. And we had like a 30-minute meet and greet afterward with the kids, and, and Josh participated in that and did a couple interviews and then went outside to do an interview um, with the PGA guys, and we were up on, up on some stairs pretty far back, and I don't know what hole we were near, but we were near a hole, and by the time Josh was done doing his interviews... Um, there was a crowd that had formed right outside of where the stairs were and Brandon Bean was there as well and he was having people come up to him asking for pictures and it's a fun event I think it's really cool that you know it's in Rochester and these guys are, are able to go to that the The players on our team who are big golf fans because there are several of them um, who love the game who love to play golf in their free time and, and get to see something like this just an, an hour down the road and we uh Parked at St. John Fisher, and we rolled up to St. John Fisher, and I was like, "Honey, Won't be I'm long home." Now. Won't but then be I was like, now. "Oh my gosh, <laughs> we're just a couple, we're just a couple months away from this." Yeah,
1: about two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we do want to go around the NFL briefly. Not a whole lot going on, um, but we do want to kind of bring you up to speed on some interesting news and notes and around the NFL. Brought to you by Kaleida Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills, and it is expected to be announced shortly that at the NFL owners meetings later this month that they will announce the 2026 Super Bowl which is Super Bowl 60 is going to be awarded to Levi's Stadium in San Francisco so there have been discussions around them being cemented as the as the venue for Super Bowl 60 um I saw the Sports Business Journal had a write-up on it. Um, There's an issue with finding a Super Bowl venue in part because that is the same year that the U.S., along with Mexico and Canada, is going to host the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of other venues that are in the running to host for the World Cup, and they want to prep for that. And so they're actually bypassing, you know, saying, yes, yes, we want to be considered for the Super Bowl, which is like, rare <laughs> but the world cup is that big so it sounds like San Fran's going to be awarded that because they've been in from the jump my question Maddie is middle of February in San Fran could be a little dicey weather so
2: when I worked for Stanford uh I the team that I worked for um it was what was it 20 2019 it was in 2019 we played in a bowl game. It was the Foster Farms Bowl, I want to say. We played against Maryland, and the game was in San Francisco in Levi's Stadium. So this game would have been, let's say, January at some point. End of December, January was this bowl game. It was so freaking cold in that stadium. It, it was so windy. You talk about the wind in Buffalo. It was just as windy, maybe even windier that night for that game, Um I did not bring enough layers because I was kind of new to the area. It was my first year in California, and I lived in Palo Alto. <laughs> and the weather in Palo Alto is warmer than it is in San Francisco. And you get to San Francisco, and you are completely right. The it's weather could be there, kind right? of
1: damp there, it's pretty damp.
2: And it, when the sun goes down, I mean, you don't get humidity there. So when the sun goes down, it gets really cold in in that area. I mean, it's in Santa Clara, not really San Francisco, but. In Santa Clara, you you still get that that cold, damp weather that San Francisco gets a lot. Um, so, yeah, I would say weather in February.
1: So this is what it's. It saying. could get pretty cold. So average temperatures in February in Santa Clara, which is where the stadium's located, and where the Niners play, sixty three is the average high in February, and forty five is the average low. That doesn't sound terrible by our standards here in. <laughs> western new york that's unheard of in february um but you know it's a 6 30 p.m game usually um i guess that would be 3 three thirty 30 west coast time so okay middle of the day so it's at the warmest time of the day conceivably for the fans and the players mm-hmm. so maybe it's low to mid 60s at kickoff and then it's probably down in the mid 40s by the end of the night that I'm just worried about the rain. Like, isn't that the wet season out there? Like,
2: Yeah, you can't get rain out there at that time. The other thing that 45 sure feels warm to us in, in February because we don't get those temperatures in February often. But 45, I feel like at least this is... For myself, when I go somewhere else and I experience, maybe it's not as cold as here, but a 45 in California could feel like a 30-degree weather day here to me. Mm. Sometimes I feel like when I go somewhere that's supposed to be warm and it's actually not warm, it feels even colder Messes with to your me. your head. Yes.
1: Yeah, I get it. So, yeah, I was surprised by that, only because, you know, when they had the Super Bowl in Dallas, they had that terrible ice storm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't affect the game because – you know they can close the roof and everything but um yeah i was wondering if they would ever even venture near a city that even had the threat of damp or cold weather yeah, cuz they want it to be <clears throat> they want it to be palatable to the fans also i mean yeah. people are not skipping the super bowl if it's 40 degrees but i just thought that they would kind of gravitate more towards the guaranteed warm weather cities Uh, in light of how some of the previous Super Bowls in some questionable climates went in the middle of February. But it looks like Santa Clara will get Super Bowl 26. Incidentally, Super Bowl next year, or this coming season, will be in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, which is a dome. So no worries about weather there whatsoever. Speaking of the Raiders, Devontae Adams, as we told you earlier this week, expressed some doubt and concern about the direction of the team and the offense hard to discern whether he's mad that Derek Carr, after he via trade went to the Raiders last year to be reunited with his former college quarterback, Derek Carr played together at Fresno state is essentially jettisoned and finds his way out of there and get, lands in new Orleans. And now Devonte Adams has Jimmy Garoppolo as his quarterback. I don't know if it's a quarterback issue an offensive system issue, but Devontae Adams cleverly gets comment out there that he's not thrilled with the direction of the franchise. So the next logical question is, well, do the Raiders do something to move him via a trade? The problem is you're this late in the game. I don't know if a trade happens now, but I'll tell you, man, if we get to October, you know, right before the trade deadline, Somebody's interested. I think I think the phone's going to ring in Dave Ziegler's office, the GM for the Raiders because guy only has 6 million in base salary mm-hmm. by that time it's going to be prorated depending on how many weeks have gone by. So and he's only turning 31 this year and He's still probably one of the five best receivers in football.
2: That might me, that might be more attractive to a team who's interested in getting a wide receiver and can hang on until October um, to pick up a salary like that. I mean that that seems more enticing than the D Hop situation, well, yeah, which his
1: money's, ridiculous. his
2: money's ridiculous, and we're not sure how that's going to unfold if they're going to cut him or not. But if you have a team that's good enough to hold on till October and can make it work financially. Sounds good. The bigger
1: problem is the Raiders making it work financially because their dead cap hit is steep. Like if they trade him now, it's 31 million. If they trade him even next year, it's 23 and a half. And I don't know what their cap situation is off the top of my head, but that's not something you want to eat to move him off your roster and arguably make yourself worse. Even if you can get a high draft pick coming back, that would be pretty tough um, for the Raiders to stomach, not to mention you're taking your number one weapon out of your passing game. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, maybe they think differently if the season's already gone up in flames by week six. I suppose maybe they could reconsider, and maybe they talk to Devontae Adams about Reworking his contract to make his dead cap figure more palatable. But right now, at least the reports uh, from The Athletic, who've been on this story from the jump, is that they're not considering it right now. Um, They get off to a rough start, and the season goes up in flames, though. Could be a trade deadline move, which would be very interesting because that guy would be a hot commodity. I think they could command Even at age 31, I think they they could get a two or maybe even a one Mm -hmm. or a two that could become a one based on Adams' production uh, for him. Because he's, you know, to me, he's still a top five guy in this league at the position. Um, He just unfortunately was playing with a lesser quarterback last year Mm -hmm. and maybe playing with an even lesser quarterback this year, so
2: and the Bills get to draw that team in week two. And yeah, that's the we home We're opener. looking at the schedule and thinking, you know, this is this is a game that's probably too early to tell on the Raiders. They're going to be a team who, with the newness of the quarterback and some other things, you're going to need a few weeks at least to be able to put it all together. Um, playing a team like the Bills in week two, when you're a team that's trying to figure things out, isn't an easy feat at all.
1: Not to mention the 10 a.m kickoff time for your players Mm -hmm. you know being used to west coast time coming east for a one o'clock game that's 10 a.m for you that's always a tough road to hoe also as history has shown it is obl friday fan mailbag day so any and all questions that you might have about the team the division the league at large salary cap draft choices whatever the heck it is maybe it's about otas next week uh which begin in earnest next uh week so any question you might have, fire them off at us either on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live, or you can hit us up on the phones. Open lines for you at 803-0550, local number to get on board. If you're outside the 716 calling area, 1-888-550-2550. If you have a question for us, Maddie and I will do our best to answer those. And we're also wrapping up our run around the AFC East today. We had the Patriots on Wednesday, Dolphins yesterday, and we will dive into the Jets. Now that all of the, or the bulk of the off-season roster construction is done, we want to kind of get a a better look at the Jets. We will have uh, Jets.com reporter Eric Allen helping us out in the second hour of the show. But between now and then, the phone lines are open for your calls and questions on an OBL Friday fan mailbag, and we'll answer those as soon as they come in. And then we'll dive into the Jets a little bit more in hour number two. And I don't know if you saw it, Maddie, but I know I mentioned it to you before we came on the air. The Jets had their, <laughs> you know, in-house program. It's kind of like their version of Embedded or Beyond Blue and Red that we have on yep, Buffalo dot com. Yep. And uh while they did touch on other things, understandably, the main focus was Aaron Rodgers. And you know, they sat him in a chair and did an interview, but they only played little clips of it. Um, they had footage of his arrival and his press conference after the trade was finally consummated. But the first half of the thing was about some of the offseason moves and then is the Rodgers thing going to happen? And it was just round and round and round and round. And then they basically are selling all they can sell right now, which is what Rodgers has done yeah, and bringing that, to the Jets, and believe me, right now that's enough because Jets fans are gaga over this. Um, having some high school buddies who are Jets fans, yeah, they're they're giddy right now. So a
2: franchise-altering addition to their roster. It's been a
1: minute since they had a quarterback worth a darn.
2: It has been a minute. Oh gosh, we get to draw them twice. Start the season against the Jets. I
1: actually do think, and I know we didn't really get a chance to dive into this when you and I were doing the schedule. Mm-hmm release special i think it's good you get him early i
2: like that too because
1: they probably despite their best efforts won't have all of their ducks in a row which that i don't know to be humming you know what i mean yeah
2: i can't remember if it was me and steve or or you and i i think it was me and steve when we had judy batista on a couple weeks ago so i asked her i was like in your opinion, you've been you've been covering the story since the trade rumors started, and you've really been around that team for the last few weeks, um, doing reports on NFL Network and writing up stories. Is there going to be a learning curve at all for for Rodgers and this team? Is it going to take any time, or are they just ready, set, go, and ready from the jump? And she kind of answered the question of like, there may be a little bit of time, but this is a team who believes they are ready from the jump. Do you believe that?
1: It's, I, I think Rodgers will be fine. I think about it
2: from a Tom Brady standpoint because we've seen Tom Brady do that. It's a different team. It's a different system. It's a different head coach. But where do, where do you?
1: I think Rodgers will be fine because he's coming to a system that he knows already, mm-hmm. like the back of his hand. He and Hackett have worked together before. So there's a, there's a, a working relationship there that has already worked in the past. So that much is set. As the foundation, I think the bigger question lies in everybody else around him, whether it's the guys calling, you know, the center calling the protection scheme. Is that going to be the rookie, Joe Tipman? Are they going to put the veteran Connor McGovern in there? What happens with that position? That's very important. And that's a relationship with Rodgers that has to, you know, be built. And then you're still retooling that offensive line. Are you going to have 38-year-old Dwayne Brown at left tackle or do you have somebody that yep. shows better in training camp? So putting that line together is part two. And then part three is getting everybody on the same page and executing that offense as a well-oiled machine. I don't think that just happens mm-hmm. when it's a new system for just about everybody else else with the exception of Aaron Rodgers, Alan Lazard, and Randall Cobb. Those yep. are the only three guys that know that offense like the back of their hand, having been in it before, Everybody else is learning from scratch. Now, could they put it all together and look great in week one? Sure. But I'm not betting on it. They do not have the offensive continuity edge that I think the Bills will go into Mm -hmm. that game with. So from that standpoint, I think it it is advantageous. Look, if you're going to play them on the road in a a prime time environment where the crowd's going to be in a froth and expectations are going to be as high as they've (laughs) been in 10 years for the Jets, play them early when maybe they don't have everything buttoned up and airtight, and hopefully you can take advantage of
2: that. Yeah. In I, some way, shape, or form. I think it really starts with that offensive line, the The questions along the offensive line, because it, it wasn't great last year, and, and Mekhi Becton has been a yeah, question mark. Yeah, injuries were a problem. Yeah, injuries were a problem, and, and his, his status and where he's playing has been a question since he really got drafted to that team. I know he's a mountain of a man, but he hasn't been able to put really a full season together, so what is that going to look like for him? And then they draft a couple of offensive linemen, like you said, um, and add some through free agency, but... If you don't have an offensive line, if you can't put it together, if it's not going to work communication-wise or health-wise, this is not a mobile quarterback And Josh Allen who can just get outside of the pocket when he needs to. I know Aaron Rodgers does have a little bit of that in him, but he is a quarterback who's getting older.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's right. He's not as mobile as he once was. I think yeah. he can still get around enough um, to be effective and make and extend plays. Uh, to make them, but yeah, there are a lot of question marks there that have to be fit together, and, you know, maybe it all comes together beautifully without any adversity whatsoever, but I, I'm, I'm of the belief, just based on having seen these kinds of changes before, that it, it's not all buttoned up and airtight, despite a team's best efforts um, in week one, two, or even three. Sometimes you don't really get to week six in a new offense until you really feel like you got your feet under you, you know everything. There are no su- no surprises. There are no um, instances of miscommunication where one person's thinking one thing, another person's thinking another thing. And we saw Nate Hackett go through that in Denver with a very talented offense and a proven Super Bowl-winning quarterback there. And it took them forever to put it together, and it never got quite right, and mm-hmm. it cost Nate Hackett his job. So... If you want an example of it not fitting together right away, look no further than the Denver Broncos last year. Russell Wilson looked like a shell of himself. He has more than capable receivers. I mean, a lot of teams in this league would be envious of the receiver talent that the Broncos have with K.J. Hamler and Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I mean, that's a heck of a trio there. And they even got other guys, Tim Patrick and a couple other players that are good role players for them in the passing game. And it just did not work at all. Um And they had a bad injury. Javante Javante Williams tears his ACL early in the year. He was going to be kind of their meal ticket back. And that went up in flames with his ACL injury. So, you know, there were extenuating circumstances, but it doesn't always work. I'm just saying. (laughs) So, (laughs) look, I'd be uh, hard-pressed to have a problem with that if it happened to the Jets. (laughs) Just saying. Um, We got to take a break here, but it is OBL Fan Friday Mailbag. So, if you have any questions... Fire them off to us or give us a call. Open line for you at 803 550 the number to get on board. And uh, we will get to your phone calls and your questions next here on an OBL Fan Friday mailbag. One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
2: All right, welcome back to
1: One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you here on an OBL Friday fan mailbag. We'll go to the phones first to take questions at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board if you got a question about anything, about the Bills, the league at large, whatever is on your mind, and uh, just chime in. We'll be happy to answer it for you. We lead off today, though, with Kevin in Hamburg. What do you got for us, Kevin?
0: Hey, guys, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. How are you guys doing? Pretty good?
1: Yeah, yeah, ready for the weekend, man
0: good. I wanted to ask you something. This fan mailbag bring it up. The other day, this past weekend, we found out about that punter last year that was accused of that rape and sexual assault in California. Right. I can't pronounce his name. Matt Lutenza, the one that's supposed to... I can't pronounce his yeah, name. Yeah,
1: riser, right.
0: Yeah. Now they found out he left the party or left it two hours before the girl was actually assaulted. What will they do? I mean, is he in a lawsuit for defamation? Because I mean, they did make him look like a a deviant, even if he wasn't, and are he going to try to get back in the league? Because that guy is supposed to. When they said about his punts last year, those were like Ray Guy punts. He's seventy-yard punts. That's like a Ray Guy in his prime with the Raiders punt. Yeah. Will he try to get back in it? They find out he really didn't hurt that girl, or yeah. what you hear about so it, far? Not so
1: far. Yeah, it's so, a it's a tricky situation, Kevin. I think there are still civil suits pending, if I'm not mistaken. So, I think that. The league at large, I'm not even going to put the bills in the equation because they have Sam Martin here under contract, a veteran punter who they signed last year after that all went down, and then they re-signed him this offseason. So they're kind of set at the position. And not for nothing, Sam Martin had a good season here last year. Um, I don't know how the rest of the league is going to feel about that. Um, As I said, I still think there are civil suits pending with him. I would est- – and this is just a guess on my part. I would guess that most teams would wait until his legal handlings are over and done with in totality. And then maybe if someone feels the need to improve or upgrade their roster at that position, then maybe they look into it. Um, it's also possible that there are NFL clubs out there that might say, well – let's see him play in the XFL or the USFL next year and see how he does. And then if it's evident that he still has all the talent that many of them probably thought he did, well, then maybe the opportunity does does come up for him. But really, really hard to kind of ascertain that right now.
2: Yeah, I would say I'm sure he wants to get back into the NFL and back into football, but uh, not until all of that is probably – Figured out, worked, uh, whatever you want to <laughs> say. Yeah, that teams w- would then start to make contact with him.
1: Right. Um, you know, the whole the whole thing is unfortunate all the way around for all the parties involved, as we well know. Um, because even though Matt Ariza was exonerated in the criminal portions of that case, it doesn't change the fact about what the... The victim in this case had to go through no matter how much was definitively proven and how much wasn't with respect to the allegations so it's still not something anybody you know me having a daughter myself it's not something anybody would want you know anyone to have to go through um, family victim all parties involved so the whole thing is just flat out unfortunate that it even took place but yeah how it's going to be how nfl teams are going to view it your guess, honestly, is as good as mine. Um, so that, I mean, that's kind of where it is and where it starts and where it ends, at least for right now, I think until all his legal handlings are done and over with. Let's go to the Friday fan mail bag, And leading us off today there is Barkert, who says, there has been little talk about Kyle Allen, and with good reason, nobody wants to see him play unless it's a blowout scenario. But is he a true backup to Josh? Or did we just bring in another one of Josh's best buds for the QB room? In other words, is the season a wash if Josh goes down? I know two years ago everybody was very encouraged, having or at least had maybe a, a little bit more peace of mind mm-hmm. having Mitchell Trubisky as the backup. They had a veteran in Case Keenum as a backup last year, and while I don't think he brought the same athletic traits to the table that Mitchell Trubisky did as a younger player, I think they felt, well, at least it's a guy that's been there and done that and can be productive. As far as Kyle Allen's concerned, he's in the one year that he was a full-time starter with Carolina back in 2019, he started 12 games. He went five and seven and completed 62% of his passes, 17 touchdowns. 16 picks as a second-year player. He's since played for played for Washington and Houston, but he's he's been a backup, a spot starter, uh, if you will. So, you know his overall record seven and 12. Now, granted, he's not playing for the best teams in the league. You know he was playing for Carolina on a downturn. You know after Cam was gone, and he was playing in Washington when they had already absolved themselves of Kirk Cousins and really didn't have a true number 1 QB. Dwayne Haskins was there then he wasn't and you know that whole mess. And then he was in Houston last year as the backup uh, to their starter who was their former 4th round pick. So I think it's I think in this scenario with this roster I think you could expect better production out of Kyle Allen, if, in fact, he is thrust into the lineup and has to play, God forbid, for an injured Josh. So, no, I don't think he's a throwaway bud. Uh, I think it's a guy that has game and, what is he, 27 years old. So I I think he has something to offer in the way of talent and quarterbacking. Um, And I think he's played enough to convince this coaching staff and the personnel department that he has something to offer and can carry you through a stretch if Josh, God forbid, has to miss a game or two.
2: Yeah, he's played in 23 games, started in 19. I mean, this coaching staff and the scouting department, really the scouting department – they they wouldn't bring somebody onto the team to back up Josh Allen just because it's it's one of Josh's best friends. Um, Josh has a lot of close friends in this league who are quarterbacks because he gets to train with all these guys in the offseason and gets to develop relationships with them. Um, that doesn't mean it's a reason to bring him in and back up Josh Allen. Um, Brandon Bean is is way smarter than that, and so is the scouting department. So they they see something in him, and they, they think that he's a good option option in this offense to back up Josh Allen if, if that has to happen this season. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully we have a healthy Josh Allen through the entire year. Um, but if not, Kyle's going to be that option. And, and they brought him here and he's on the team because they think that he can, he can help the team if need be.
1: Yeah. So we're all hoping he doesn't play. I mean, <laughs> unless, you know, it's 40 to nothing. And then, you know, he can play all he wants. That's fine by me. But I think with the, with the nature of B- the Bills' schedule this year, which is tough, it's steep. It, by new analytics accounts and by last year opponent winning percentage accounts, it's, you know, one of the toughest schedules in the league. So blowouts might be hard to come by. We'll certainly take them if they surface and then maybe get a look at Kyle Allen. We don't want to get a look at Kyle Allen the other way, uh, with all due respect to Kyle himself. Uh, Let's go back to the mailbag, and we've got, from Bill's News Consolidated, would you say a rookie middle linebacker in 2023 is in a better position to succeed than the year rookie Tremaine Edmonds started? I would say yes, because the roster is stronger than it was in 2018. Yes, I would say that. I think they're deeper up front on the defensive line. Uh, The secondary... It's a little older, but I think it's still more than capable. Uh, And you've got a young ascending player in Kair Elam to go with proven veterans. And you have an all-pro linebacker lined up next to you in Matt Milano. So I would say if a rookie is getting dropped into that equation, yes, it is unquestionably a better situation than the one Tremaine Edmonds walked
2: in. Yeah, I was going to say, because you've got Matt Milano right next to you, that's why it's a better deal and a better situation. And Matt Milano, who's been on the team for several years now, this is not a rookie Matt Milano anymore. This is a Matt Milano who's on to his second contract with this team and a Matt Milano who who's an all-pro and who is recognized by a lot of other teams in the NFL that they have to scheme against because of the type of linebacker that he is. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing who is going to be that player that steps in next to Matt Milano this season in a defense that's going to be called by Sean McDermott.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be one of the most hotly contested position battles of training camp, and I'm very curious to see if that pool of candidates for the starting middle linebacker job gets whittled down before we even get to camp. Like Mm -hmm. maybe in the spring it's four, By the time you get to training camp, is it down to three? So because the ultimate issue that you have there is you can only go so far into training camp with a competition before you have to give the bulk of the reps to the guy that you believe is worthy of being the starter because you have to get them ready for the regular season with all the 10 guys that are going to be around them in Mm -hmm. the starting unit. If you're still rotating people through and a guy's getting a third of the reps he would normally get to ready for a season and he's calling your defense – that's too important a role to to wait on or to say, well, I need another week of practices to decide who's the starter. Like, you got to make that call and probably make it sooner rather than later. It'll be very interesting to see when the drop-dead date is to not only whittle that pool down, but to nail down this guy's the starter. And maybe it's before you even get to the second preseason game. You know, by, by the time that first preseason game is said and done, we might be already looking – at the starting middle linebacker for this group. The other position I think that's going to be hotly contested is that right guard spot. Oh yeah. Osiris Torrance, Ryan Bates, Mm -hmm. David Edwards. That's going to be a battle too, for sure. Um, And I think the offensive line only gets better because of it. They always say competition raises the level Mm -hmm. of everybody that makes the team better as a whole. We got to take a break here. When we come back, more of your questions on the tweet sheet on an OBL fan Friday. Also, taking your phone calls at 803-0550 and coming up in hour number two a little bit of a closer look at the jets off-season roster construction we all know about rogers but what the heck else have they done to try to make themselves better and pull closer to the division champion bills we'll tackle that all coming up here on one bills live all right back here on one bills live on a friday chris brown maddie glad with you as we are close to closing out the first hour of the show and we are taking your questions. We've been sitting here on the tweet sheet uh, as it is OBL Friday fan mailbag. So if you have a question, you want to hop on the phone lines, you can do that at 803-0550, 888 uh, But in the meantime, we wanted to see what Tiffany had to offer. She says, who are you rooting for to make the final roster? I'm pulling for Shane Ray. Um, Shane Ray would be uh, an unbelievable success story, knowing he hasn't played NFL football since, I think it was 2019. So, think about that. You're talking pre-pandemic. So, yeah, I mean, that would be a heck of a success story or reclamation story, you know, status redeemed as Mm -hmm. an NFL player. That would be something. And he's got an uphill battle with all the talent that the Bills have at defensive end, not – the least of which is a lot of their high draft choices do you, do you have a name in mind? Like, Hey, I'm rooting for this guy. And
2: I mean, I would like to see Shane Ray make the roster too. Uh, but that's because we went to college together oh, and I think right. he graduated a year after me, but he played on the same team, uh, with Mitch Morse for a few years. Yep. So those are a couple of guys that, that I got to be around when they were college players and Shane Ray was incredible for Mizzou. They had a wonderful defensive line when I was there. Um, a lot of those guys went on to the NFL. There's not too many of them left, um, um, but he had eight sacks in his second year in the NFL in 2016 with the Broncos. So I mean, he had a productive career at least in his first couple of years. I know injuries kind of stalled that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he played uh, for the Toronto Argonauts in what was it 2020 and 2021.
1: So yeah, I'm kind of pulling' it would for, be cool. I'm pulling for Alec Anderson. Uh, the offensive lineman who was on the practice squad here last year. He was an undrafted you, rookie. You and
2: Steve love Alec yeah, Anderson. Yeah, I like him a lot.
1: Um, I watched him in training camp last year, and I thought his feet were really good. I think he has position versatility, and I think he's got a chance to make the roster this year after serving all of last season on the practice squad. So, and I think he's a guy that's kind of like Ryan Bates. I think you could line him up at guard. You could line him up at tackle. He played tackle at UCLA. Um, so I think there's some position first vers- versatility there mm-hmm. that's very attractive. So I think if he puts together a good camp – and a good preseason, I think he could make the roster. So I, that's that's the guy that I'm rooting for.
2: Another guy that I'm rooting for, and when when I think of players that I want to make the roster and guys who could be um, some of the last people in or some of the first people out, um, it's guys who have been around here for a few years on and off of the practice squad or on and off of the roster um, with injuries and things like that. It, we get to know a lot of those guys pretty well. Um, they're usually more than happy to do media because they want to get their name out there they want to start building their own brand um, and one of those players who I have loved being around and I think is just a great guy and, and can play football as well but it'll be interesting to see what happens with this position group because we drafted a tight end is Quentin Morris
1: okay yeah I mean I think I think he's got a good shot to be back on the roster mm-hmm. as the third tight end behind Knox and Kincaid so I would say his odds are good I mean, you do have other competition, you know a practice squad guy and Zach Davidson, who's a taller, longer player, yeah um, so he'll be in the mix. he was on the practice squad last year, and there are other guys they'll have on the roster too, mm-hmm. I imagine before
2: and all i'm more I more think about the tight end position as a position that could get cut by one guy because of the fact that they may want to keep other players um, in other position groups yeah. that. You know, maybe they want to keep an extra wide receiver this year. Maybe they don't, they want to keep a big defensive line group or, or an extra, extra offensive back. lineman, yeah, or an extra running back because um, they do have a stable right now. And and all those guys, I think, that are on the roster could make this squad and could make this team. So I I think that'll be one thing that will be very intriguing, int- interesting to see is how they how they get to that final number and within that final number, what it looks like for each position yeah. groups.
1: Let's go back to the phones and see what you have there. We go to Doc in Williamsville. What do you got for us, Doc?
0: Well, I'm going to comment about Aaron Rodgers. Okay. I think he's a coach killer. He is the LeBron James of the National Football League.
1: Okay. And what, what yeah. about his makeup convinces you of that?
0: Well, he, because he has trouble following orders, supposedly, uh, the game plan. I think he wants more input into it. And uh, I think with his diminishing skills, he's going to have a tough time finish the season with the Jets. Okay. Because I don't think the Jets are, are anywhere near ready to protect him. Right. And we are the champions of the East. We will be till the end of the season until someone defeats us. And the the sky is falling. Uh, mantra is running thin, Brownie. Thanks for taking my call.
1: Sure. Sure. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know if you meant. I was thinking that I'm not thinking the sky is falling. Um, I think that Rogers obviously buoy's the hopes of everybody that roots for the Jets, and I get it. Um, but Doc does have somewhat of a point there. There, there is a track record of Rogers rubbing people the wrong way over the course of his career. Um, you know, he's saying coach killer, and Mike McCarthy is the coach that I think he's probably mm-hmm. would use as an example in that because those two guys worked together for the better part of eight or nine seasons. They won one Super Bowl, went to some playoffs, but I think most people would say over their full tenure together, they probably underachieved, um, although that's hard to do when you've won a Super Bowl. But I think they expected even more success than they had based on the caliber of player they were dealing with. You had Aaron Rodgers in his prime, and you, weren't, you didn't get too many bites at the apple um, the offensive line has to be put together. You're right, Doc. That is not an easy thing to do, and there will be some change on that Jets offensive line, and that has to happen if they're going to make a difference. So, yeah. I mean, we talked about it earlier, man. Rodgers is still mobile enough, but not as mobile as he once was. And I, I will say, Doc, you're right. He does play outside the box sometimes. Sometimes he thinks he's the smartest person in the room. And will take it upon himself to ad-lib and maybe go off script more than a coach would like. And I don't know that Hackett is, is the kind of guy with a coaching style that will check him and say, Aaron, we're doing it this way, so stop messing around. I don't see Hackett as that kind of coach, so if Rodgers is given an inch there's a chance he could take a mile.
2: I also wonder, so, I mean, I think things started to go sideways for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers when they drafted Jordan Love was when all of this stuff started to come about Mm -hmm. and when Aaron Rodgers would would voice his opinion more and, and choose to do what he wanted to do more. And I wonder if since he's on a new team, there is at least in this first year, there is I will be on my best behavior. Because I got players yeah. like Alan Lazard, I got a guy like Randall Cobb. I'm playing with a guy in in Hackett that that I understand the system, and I know, and we have this relationships that that has existed before my time with the New York Jets. So, I kind of I would think I could be totally wrong, but I would think that he will be on a different yeah. type of behavior in this first year with the Jets because it's new, and, and new is shiny right now for him, and new is happy for him. Well, all those pictures that we saw of him smiling. Right, right. You know.
1: And not only that, the Jets rolled out the red carpet for him. Yes. Did all of those player acquisitions that you talked about. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason for Rodgers to have any, you know, be crying sour grapes. The Jets have done everything in their power to make him feel welcome, comfortable, and successful on the field. So, yeah, uh, there's no reason for him to have any ill will towards the Jets, which, you know, clearly things got a little bitter in Green Bay based on how things went down there. So we have to take a break here, but we are talking more Jets when we come back because joining us will be Jets.com reporter Eric Allen joining us as we get a little bit deeper into the Jets offseason roster construction Beyond Aaron Rodgers, have they really improved in more than just the quarterback area to truly make a difference for their fortunes in 2023? We'll tackle that next. Here on One Bills Live presented by Colada Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio.
0: Presented by Kaleida Health.
1: All right, hour number two here on a Friday. Chris Brown, Maddie Glad with you. And our trip around the AFC East, now that the bulk of off-season roster construction is complete, wraps up in New York, where the Bills will be taking on the Jets in week one and uh, in prime time, no less, at MetLife Stadium, which will be in a veritable froth in week one. That is going to be a heck of an atmosphere to walk into. But... Here to tell us a little bit more about the Jets' roster construction to this point, chiefly beyond Aaron Rodgers, is New York Jets senior content director, team reporter Eric Allen joining us on the show. How are we doing, EA? Brownie, Maddie, happy Friday to you both. Yeah, happy Friday to you as well. And, you know, we know the Rodgers train is already careening out of control. Fans are over the moon about, you know, the prospect of having a bona fide four time MVP as their quarterback. Um, where do you kind of come down, Eric, on the construction of the offensive line, which I think you would agree, at least at this point, still has some pieces to be fit together.
3: Well, Brownie, this team was decimated by injuries up front along that offensive line last season. I go back to week seven. The Jets took down the Denver Broncos 16 to nine, and they lost Elijah Vera Tucker and Brees Hall in that game. If those two play 17 games for the Jets last season, I think it's a playoff team last season, despite getting inconsistent play at the quarterback position. Fortunately for the Jets, as you enter the off season, here's what you have, Brownie. You know, you have two starters at guard, left guard, Lincoln Tomlinson, right guard. You're going to have Elijah Vera Tucker. Vera Tucker can play along that offensive line. Practically anywhere. If you played him at center, he'd probably excel there as well. Speaking of the center position, the Jets addressed the center position Mm -hmm. in the draft, taking Joe Tittman out of Wisconsin. He was the first center off the board. The Jets also re-signed Connor McGovern. He's a guy who had anchored that center position for the past few years for the Jets. They also signed in free agency, Wes Schweitzer, who was most recently in Washington, he's got center experience. So we'll have to see how that all plays out at the center spot. But I think they're uh, very high on Joe Tipman, And you could have that Wisconsin exchange next season with the former Badger hiking the ball to uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course. Now at the tackle position, Brownie. The Jets like what they got out of Max Mitchell last year as a rookie. Um, Makai back then, he's the big X factor I would say for this team because he's a former first round pick who excelled as rookie the last two seasons. He's been out of the lineup. He looks great as far as what he's doing in the off season and where he's at. But for him, it's going to be, Hey, can and stay healthy? Uh, also Dwayne Brown returns. Dwayne Brown is a guy who gutted it out last year for the jets, uh, basically playing with one arm. So for the Jets, yes. Rodgers comes in, but you're right, Brownie. Listen, this team has to stay healthy at this at along the offensive line at all spots. But uh they do have bodies and they do think um they will have answers up front this year. But especially in the interior, I think that's where you're feeling really good. We're going to have to see how these battles play out on the outside at tackle.
2: In addition to the offensive line, there's a couple new wide receivers on the team who have been able to play with Aaron Rodgers on the Packers. You got Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard being brought into the fold now. How do you see those two guys fitting into what's already a part of a, a good and talented wide receiver room?
3: Well, the elite guy there is Garrett Wilson, offensive rookie of the year last year. He had more than eleven hundred yards receiving despite playing with four different quarterbacks. So for him, this time right now in the spring is very valuable because Aaron Rodgers has been out there on the field at OTAs and off season workout. Not I should say off season workouts. OTAs start next week for the Jets, much like the Buffalo Bills. Um You know, and Aaron Rodgers actually has compared uh, his movement to Devontae Adams. Now, are they going to have that kind of chemistry early on here in year one? We'll have to see. But Alan Lazard was a big pickup because 14 touchdowns the last two seasons with the Green Bay Packers. He gives the Jets another size element. He's 6'5", 227 pounds. Speaking of size, uh, the Jets, when Corey Davis went down last season – they got small really quick. Uh, that's what Robert Salas said. So Lazard not only brings the size quotient, but also he's a guy familiar with Rodgers. He's familiar with the system playing under Nathaniel Hackett. And then in the slot, it's a changed dynamic because Elijah Moore was traded to the Cleveland Browns and the Jets uh, signed McCole Hardman Jr., from Kansas city and free agency. And you mentioned Randall Cobb as well, Maddie Cobb is a guy, another guy who fits the bill in terms of he's got that relationship with Aaron Rodgers. He can help this team out in the red zone and on third down. So he can work the center of the field and the, don't forget about Corey Davis. Corey Davis continues to be on this roster as well. So uh, the Jets, it it is a revamped wide receiver room that Aaron Rodgers will be throwing to here in 2023, but two of those guys are guys he's awfully familiar with in Lazard and of course Randall Cobb.
1: Let's move off the field just briefly here, and we already know that the Jets are working to renegotiate Aaron's contract to make next year more palatable. I think the cap figure is over 100 million dollars. <laughs> they got to do something about that, um, and they they already went to. Carl Lawson, and he took a pay cut to kind of help alleviate and create some cap space there. Um, indications are it's going to take more than one guy helping out here in that regard, um, because after you get done with Rodgers, you're probably going to have to take care of Quinn and Williams too. How mm. how how long do you anticipate? those negotiations taking, are we running the risk of running into training camp? Because those are two super important players, arguably your most important player on offense and defense, and they're going to be giant contracts, no matter which way you slice it.
3: Yeah. Listen, I think uh, the bottom line is Rogers wanted to be here. Brownie. He's made that clear. Uh The team produced an in-house documentary flight 23 last night that I think that, Uh, I think fans throughout the National Football League would love to watch. Uh, You can sense the excitement that he has to be here. And at this point of his career, uh, I don't think Rodgers is going to be looking at something where, hey, can I get another penny here? Can I get another penny here? He wants to win another championship, bottom line, with that being said. So I think that contract is going to work out for both him and the jets because he wants to have as many valuable assets on both sides of the ball as possible. Brownie, with that being said, you're right about Quinn and Williams. Those negotiations continue. I would say this, that GM Joe Douglas said, those talks have been productive. Uh, I know what's happening as far as Quinn and right now on his side of the ledger uh, social media, uh, people try to interpret everything that's happening out there daily with these players. And you guys know that with the uh, Stefan Diggs out there in Buffalo. <laughs> but uh, b- bottom line is, listen, uh, Quinn and Williams is a big part of the future of this team. And he's going to be a big part of what the Jets do in 2023. One of the finest defensive players in all of football, 12 sacks last season and all pro.
2: So we know Nathaniel Hackett will bring in a new system with the Jets and we know Aaron Rodgers and him have a relationship and it's a familiar system for Aaron Rodgers but it's not a familiar system for everybody on the offense. So why why is OTAs the next few weeks going to be so important for this team and, and what do you see as the learning curve for some of these players who will be playing in a new system this season?
3: Well yeah it, it's a great question and uh, we look at some of these guys, some of these elite quarterbacks or future Hall of Fame quarterbacks or Hall of Fame quarterbacks who went to a second stop. Most recently, you think about Tom Brady after that great run in New England. He goes to Tampa and he wins that Super Bowl the first year. How about Peyton Manning going to Denver and winning the Super Bowl? Matt Stafford, not in the class of those two or Naron Aaron Rodgers, but his first year with the LA Rams, of course, They win a Super Bowl. Here's the thing. uh, People often ask me the difference between Aaron Rodgers coming here and Brett Favre in 2008. There's three distinct differences. Timing, because this trade happened in April. Brett Favre came to the Jets in August. The second part of this is Aaron Rodgers wants to be here. Not saying that Brett Favre was a male content. But he wanted actually to go to Minnesota. He would wind up with the Vikings in 2009. uh, But he wanted actually, his second choice was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then his third choice was the New York Jets. And the final piece of this, which is the most encouraging, perhaps of all, is that Aaron Rodgers has a great relationship with Nathaniel Hackett. They succeeded. They excelled together in Green Bay. Rogers was back-to-back MVP in 2020 and 2021 putting up astronomical numbers. Not only does Rodgers come here, but the Jets did sign Billy Turner in free agency. Uh, we were talking about the offensive line before. So he's another guy who's got familiarity with Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett. Alan Lazard, much the same familiarity with Rogers and Nathaniel Hackett. And then Randall Cobb in the same boat as well. So Rogers is going to be a coach on the field here because when Favre came to the jets, him and Brian Schottenheimer had to meet together and figure out, Hey, what was going to be the best for this offense in the New York jets? Whereas far uh, Aaron Rodgers comes in and he's got ownership. It's like having a coach on the field and you have a number of, of other former Packers, a number of other, former players who've excelled and also like playing under Nathaniel Hackett. So I think the jet, that give the Jets gives the Jets a leg up as, here as they enter the 2023 season.
1: Eric, is there any update on when Brees Hall will be fully cleared to return? Are we looking at the start of training camp? You mentioned earlier week seven was when he suffered the injury. So are we looking at the start of training camp? Is it a wait and see? Is it probably closer to the start of the regular season? And do you think – the drafting of Israel Abanacanda is any kind of insurance plan in the event that Brees is not ready.
3: I don't, I'll take the second part of that first, Brownie. I don't think that is a insurance uh, policy there. Uh, The Jets loved Abanacanda. They couldn't believe he was still on the board where he was. This is a kid who just really excelled at Pittsburgh and they think he's going to be a great System fit as far as what Nathaniel Hackett is running up front. He's another home run hitter. Speaking of home run hitters, Brees Hall jets are saying that he's going to be ready. Okay. In 2023, what that means and where he's going to be at. I, I don't think the jets are going to put a timetable and saying, Hey, listen, he is out of the gates. Is he the same Brees Hall that you saw on week seven? We'll have to see. I will tell you this. They're saying that he is ahead of schedule in his rehab, and Brees Hall has been out here in the offseason running and looking good here early, and this is May. I mean, so you have a few months to work with. So uh, I would anticipate Brees Hall going to be ready to go early next season. What that's actually going to look like, we'll have to see. But the Jets like their backfield because not only do they have Hall, They had a Bonaconda. They do have Michael Carter and Zonovan Bam Knight, a former undrafted free agent out of North Carolina State. He actually played well for this team as well. Don't sleep on Carter though because he's a guy who really excelled his rookie season so the Jets do have a loaded backfield but they would have took a Bonaconda regardless of uh, Brees Hall's health I'm convinced of that
2: you touched on wide receivers the running backs and the offensive line is there another position group on either side of the field that you believe could have a big impact on the team and on the season as a whole this year
3: Well, here's the thing. The Jets took Will McDonald out of Iowa State in the first round, and most people are saying, why didn't you not get Aaron Rodgers' help? Here's the thought process there. The Jets want to come at you in waves. With Aaron Rodgers, you're going to have a better offense in 2023. You just are. I mean, you look at the Jets across the board as far as their metrics are concerned last season. You're going to have a better offense this season. The Jets want to play with the lead late. They are stacked. At defensive end, because I was just talking about uh, to this um, about this with Jeff Albrecht, the Jets defensive coordinator, Carl Lawson came back from Achilles played really well last season. He returns. You drafted Jermaine Johnson in the first round. The Jets liked what they got out of him in year one. You drafted. Will McDonald, a guy who had 34 sacks, 42 tackles for loss, and 10 forced fumbles at Iowa State. He enters the equation. Bryce Huff is a guy who ended that game, essentially ended that game against the Bills last year at MetLife Stadium. You guys remember that, him getting to Josh Allen, and that actually caused Allen's uh, arm injury that he had to deal with for the, the rest of the season. Then you have John Franklin Myers, a guy they like because he brings the versatility in the equation. Not only does he play and but he comes inside he can drop down the jets drafted michael clemens in a fourth round last year they liked his production he's another guy who can swing inside so it's kind of an embarrassment of riches for the jets at defensive end and they're gonna be really tough to deal with if they do have leads late because i just don't know how teams are going to come back against the jets here this season and then it all starts with the jets in the middle at defensive tackle uh, where you're seeing a lot of changes next to Quinn and Williams, Quinn and Williams is a guy coming off a 12 sack year. So uh for, if you're going to beat the jets, if the bills are going to beat the jets and the three time defending AFC East champs, you're not going to be beating them coming from behind. You're just not going to do that this season.
1: Um, speaking of the defensive line for the jets, Eric, I mean, yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches, how are they going to make roster decisions here? I mean, you got six quality defensive ends. You got to have at least yep. four defensive tackles on your 53 man roster. Is there a chance <laughs> that somebody gets lopped off here or maybe even traded late in the preseason because they're not gonna be able to keep these guys? And then I, I understand you can protect people on the practice squad, but you know, it's it's gonna be some tough calls here for them, right?
3: Uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, it, the, the one thing that I do want everybody to keep in mind is that Sala, Robert Sala, the jets head coach and defensive coordinator, Jeff Albrick, defensive line coach, Aaron Whitecott and Brownie. They like to dress 10 on game day, 10 defense alignment on game day. But yes, if your other teams right now and you're scouting the jets in the preseason, the jets have four preseason games you're praying that one of these guys springs springs free because the Jets have just a number of guys that can get to the quarterback. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fascinating as far as how those reps are distributed once we get to the regular season. But the Jets are definitely in a good position once you reach late in the year because they do have an embarrassment of riches at the defensive end position. The one area to watch up front is... Defensive tackle, Sheldon Rankin signed with Houston free agency. Right. Nathan Shepard goes and signs in free agency with New Orleans Saints. The Jets got a couple new pieces up there, and you guys, Brownie, Maddie, know very well. Quentin Jefferson, now a New York Jet, and also most recently the Jets also signed Al Woods. So how is that rotation going to work out next to Quentin Williams? We'll have to see. Uh, up front
2: one more question for you for me the the bills and the Jets will face off against each other in week one September 11th Monday night football mm-hmm. primetime matchup at your place what do you think of that week one matchup do you like playing a team like the bills and that week one game on a primetime stage
3: it's going to be unbelievable <laughs> I mean the Jets Jets first six games really something I mean you guys know because The Bills basically have the same schedule of the Jets. It's just the way how it's constructed, where I think if you're a Bills fan, you're looking at it and say, we got to make sure we take care of our business early because after that Jets game, I guess the Bills schedule on paper, it lightens up quite a bit for the Jets. Here's the first six games. You got the Bills at home short week at Dallas. Then you come home. To face a New England team who's beaten you 14 consecutive games in the regular season 14 consecutive times, then a Sunday night affair against Patrick Mahomes and defending champion Kansas City Chiefs, then a trip to Denver, and then you finish that six-game run with a trip from the NFC Champs. Uh, they're gonna visit here to fill it out the Philadelphia Eagles. But as far as the schedule is concerned, yeah, listen. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. It's an honor for any New York team to play 22 years after 9-11. Then you think about Aaron Rodgers coming out of the tunnel for the first time as a New York Jet. I mean, what else would you want? What else would you rather want if you are a Jet fan? Because you do get the team who's been at the top of the division in your building. But it's a great matchup. Uh, A great matchup between two elite quarterbacks. And, um, yeah, I I just think that as far as the vibes around this team right now, very positive. Uh, The fan base, I have not seen it this hungry since the time I've been here. I've been here since 2001. Um, But with that being said, there's a healthy amount of respect for Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, and what the Bills bring to the table. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun one. That's for sure out of the gate.
1: Yeah, should be a fitting crescendo to uh, a pretty, pretty crazy offseason for the Jets that have been filled with uh, some unbelievable headlines. Mm-hmm. So uh, soak it all up, Eric. We'll see you soon <laughs> enough. Uh, enjoy your summer, man. Appreciate the time, as always. We'll catch up with you down
3: the line. Sure. Thanks to you both. Make sure you get some rest, and we'll be seeing this soon here in September.
1: All right. Thanks, Eric. That's Eric Allen joining us, New York Jets Senior Director of Content and Team Reporter. And, yeah, I mean, Jets fans haven't had a whole lot to be excited about the last few years, but I think they think the team this year will reach critical mass. Um, And they're the hot, shiny new toy that everybody thinks is going to go places this year. You know, the Jets fans certainly hope that's the case. Mm Adversity strikes every season, and those first six games are a bear yeah, for them. He was they have a bye in week seven, wow. and it's like they're going to want one after that. Yeah, <laughs> those yeah. first six games.
2: After you see the, the Chiefs and the Eagles, like, man, that is a gauntlet to start off the season. Whew.
1: I mean, they've those lost 14 in Cowboys. a row to the Patriots.
2: I didn't realize that when he said that. that Wait, what? I knew it's been a while, but I didn't know it was fourteen. And last year
1: was the disastrous game that Zach Wilson had. He threw three picks in the second half, and they they, the Patriots came back and won. Um, And then they had that horrible punt return. Oh yeah, with under a minute to play, that cost them the game. I think it ended like nine to three. That basically ruined their playoff hopes Mm -hmm. because they were in the driver's seat. I think they were like seven and four. Then they lose that game. They fall to seven and five and they kind of fell out of the wild card race at that point, And they never got it back. It was just, they pretty much buried him after that. The Patriots eventually passed them in the division. And yeah, it was, whew. yeah, that one, I, I wonder like, look, the bills are the top dog in the division. and We all know why. And I'm sure Jets fans will be amped, you know, if Aaron Rodgers and the team can beat the bills in week one. But that week three game against the Patriots is going to be filled with vine- bitterness and vinegar and horrible tastes in everybody's mouth. They're going to want to beat the pants off the Patriots because they've beat them 14 times in a row. Which, I mean, that's seven years. You're going that's on seven crazy. years you haven't beaten that team.
2: Seven years. And Tom Brady hasn't been on the team he hasn't the been there in three years. or four years.
1: So, yeah. I, and I think. I think a lot of Jets fans thought it would turn after he left, Mm -hmm. and that has not been the case. Belichick has still uh, had their number. We have to take a quick break here, but we're back to the phone calls. When we return, Jared in Rochester is going to lead us off as it is an OBL Friday fan mailbag day. You got a question, we've got answers. 803-0550, open line for you. Join us here on One Bills Live next. Presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown and Lab on a Friday. An OBL Friday fan mailbag is open and waiting for you with your questions, and we go to the phones to get some. And to Jared in Rochester, what you got for us, Jared? Hi, uh, great show, you guys. Thanks. Uh, just wanted to ask what with our. oh you're breaking up, Jared. Oh, Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now.
2: Okay. I was just curious um once the stadiums uh completed in a couple of years
1: uh do you think that the uh, n f l would
2: consider maybe putting a super Bowl in uh in the new place
1: in buffalo um, yeah yeah that i mean hmm. i i i I appreciate the question Jared I don't wanna dismiss it, but i think it's it's unlikely um It's only going to seat 60 to 62. I don't know if that's sufficient um, seating capacity, and I don't know the design of the stadium and whether or not it can accommodate a larger uh, audience than that. We do know that there will be standing pavilion sections where people won't have a seat per se, but can stand to watch the game from a pavilion area as well. Kind of standing room only tickets kind of thing. We know that'll be part of the stadium as well, but, Based on climate, where they're located, the fact that it's an open-air stadium, Buffalo in February I think would be a tough one to convince the league is a place where they should have a Super Bowl. I'd be very – Me, personally, I would be very surprised.
2: Yeah, I was going to say stadium aside because that new stadium is going to be incredible in more ways than one. And and the pictures and the drops that we've been able to see already, it it looks like it's going to be amazing. And I can't wait to see that final product. But... With the elements and the weather and what you could get in February, I think that's a tough call to make. Um, knowing that there could be feet of snow or rain or wind or the mix of all three of those on a Super Bowl Sunday, ah, that's tough.
1: Yeah, so I would say odds are probably no. Um, the last time they did a northern climate outdoor super bowl was in new york slash new jersey at um was it the new metlife stadium or was it the old meadowlands i'm trying to remember which one it was but it was it was at the new stadium and it was an homage uh and kind of a a give back to the new york metropolitan area for 9-11 um at least that's how it was portrayed by the league. Like they were trying to do a favor for the New York City metropolitan area um, 10, 12 years after 9-11. So that was one of the main driving forces behind there being a cold weather outdoor venue Super Bowl in a northern climate. I don't see them dipping their toe in those waters again uh, anytime soon. Um, yes, there's you know one of the Bill Super Bowls was in Minnesota and that was in a dome. But it was ridiculously cold up there. You ask anybody that went; they say we hope that there'd never be a Super Bowl in a cold weather city again because just walking around outside in February was insane. They have a tunnel system in Minnesota; it's so cold, and a lot of people were using it. So, I just think, from a corporate perspective, and all the things that are built around the Super
2: Bowl, that's another it'd be good very dif-
1: it'd be very difficult to pull that off in a cold-weather
0: city.
2: And look, I I love Buffalo. I love where I live. I love that I get to live in a place like Buffalo, but I don't know if you think about where hotels are and all the events that happen during Super Bowl week and if Buffalo is a good place for that. I I think it could be because I love Buffalo, but I think national perspective, people probably wouldn't think that.
1: And I remember when Jacksonville got a Super Bowl back in 2005, You know, it was considered this coup of a job by their um, Department of Commerce and all their municipalities and all of that stuff, and they couldn't pull it off. They did not have the infrastructure to support the amount of people that were descending on the city of Jacksonville, and they were overflowing. They didn't have enough hotel rooms. um, All of that stuff was a heavy lift for Jacksonville, And I think the NFL learned some lessons from that as well, that even if the climate is right and you want to welcome in what was then just a 10-year franchise in the league, you got to make sure you have the infrastructure to support the event that the Super Bowl is, which isn't just one game on one day. It's an entire week, if not even longer than that, and the build-out from it is even bigger than it was. 20-some-odd years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a gigantic thing. You need massive amounts of infrastructure to support it. And I just don't know, even with the new stadium as great as it's going to be, if that's enough to convince, you know, the decision-makers in that area, not to mention the fact that what the weather's like here in February works strongly against yeah. that argument. And our weather in the last calendar year hasn't helped that cause either. You know, you had you had a game relocated here in November, which is the beginning of the winter. Forget about February when we're all hunkered down in it, you know, and then the storm in December that prevented the team from getting home on Christmas until late, late, late in the afternoon. So, yeah, it's I, I think it would be a heavy lift. Love to see it, but I think it would be a heavy lift. Unfortunately, let's uh, go back to some of your questions on the tweet sheet here from Paul. Is there any chance Brandon Bean is interested in Chase Young? Is he a fit for our defense, better us than KC? Now, Chase Young is supposed to come back full bore from his knee injury, which really didn't happen with any respectability last year in Washington. Um, I think they, I think the Washington Commanders see him as a future piece. And a lot will depend on how he does this season. There's no question he's an elite talent, but I think a lot of eyeballs, not only in Washington, but probably elsewhere in the league, will be on him to see, hey, is this guy back to what he was when he was made the second pick in the draft? Um, I, I don't know why you just automatically think that Kansas City would get him in some kind of trade thing. When they've made trades for pass rushers, they've been mostly of the older variety, whether it's Frank Clark or, Um, Melvin Ingram you know players like that Um, Chase Young would cost an awful lot I mean you're talking major draft capital and probably a player in return as well even for a guy you know who's coming off an ACL injury provided he has the season that makes him look like he used to when he was an all-world player coming out of Ohio State
2: yeah the commanders declined to pick up his fifth year option but in regards to the bills while he is a great player, and I hope he will have a great season this year for the team coming back from that injury. I think about what Brandon has talked about quite a bit in relation to the defensive line, and that's been – Solely on the fact that the defensive tackle position, they need to start investing bodies and money into that position because they don't have a lot of guys on the roster, really any guys on the roster beyond next year under contract. So I I think there could be some focus on that defensive tackle position. Even this year, who who knows if if more people get brought onto the roster to help fill out that position. And Brandon's been asked about it several times. But in the offseason, I think that would be a position next offseason. That's going to be a position that they want to focus on and fill with more people.
1: Yes, and it's possible that maybe they extend one of those players before they get to the regular season, as we've seen this team do. They've extended certain players as early as August, maybe Puna Ford comes in, lights the world on fire, and they want to sign him to an extension in October, you know, to try to take care of some of that expiring contract issue that they have at that position. Um, The only guys that are going to come free after this year at the defensive end position are Shaq Lawson and A.J. Epinesa. Um, They would still have Rousseau under contract, Basham under contract, Vaughn under contract. So, yeah, I mean – We'll have to see how it shakes out. I think Chase Young's going to have a monster season this year, and he's going to want to because he knows he's playing for his next contract now. And it's just a matter of (laughs) if he has a monster season, he's going to get top-10 franchise player caliber money. And I don't know if the Bills are in position to acquire a player like that knowing they're still going to be paying Vaughn. That's that's what I think stands in the way maybe more than anything else Mm -hmm. because that's when Vaughn's contract gets even bigger. So just, I, 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 it would be great to have him and he would be a fit, but I, I just don't see it in the cards for them from lifelong fan. What are the chances that the bills pick up a top free agent receiver? If you're talking about this off season, I would say it's pretty remote, at least right now, um, cause the bills don't have a lot of cap space to work with. Now we were talking at the top of the show about Devontae Adams. That's a guy who's 6 million in base salary that's something that you could move some money around and make it work yeah. if he became available. We know he's a little disgruntled with how things are going and what the plan is offensively in Las Vegas with the Raiders, the team he plays for now. So is it worth kicking the tires on that guy? Hell yeah, it is. Um, and he's at an affordable number. The problem is, as we said earlier, it's on the Raiders' side of the ledger here because the cap hit would be $31 million this year, a half next year. To not have him on the roster and eat that kind of cap, that's a lot to take on, to not have a guy. Even if you're getting really good draft compensation or a player in return, you've got to pay for that player, too, as he comes to you. So I just think with where the Raiders are, fiscally, it doesn't make sense for them as much as it might make sense for whoever gets him. That's the problem.
2: I think if the Bills want to add another veteran wide receiver, it's going to have to be for the right number. Um, That number is not a big number. We know that. Brandon Bean has talked about that. Um, You look at guys like Vaughn and Josh and and Steph and some other – players on this roster who are getting paid big-time money and will continue to get paid big-time money in, in the coming seasons. And you have to make sure it fits. And Brandon Bean is is a cap genius and, and a cap guru for, for many reasons um, because he's been able to make it work. But I don't know if he can make a a player with a big salary or, or – um, who wants a lot of money, be able to make that work coming alongside a team who's already play, paying several players at, at a high rate. That's what happens when yeah. you have guys like Josh Allen and, and Von Miller on your team.
1: Break time for us here. Maddie and I wrap it up with some final questions from the mailbag next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned.
0: All right, one final segment here
1: on One Bill's Live on a Friday. Chris Brown, Maddie Glad with you. Back to the mailbag where we have Bill asking, which undrafted rookie free agent, if any, has the best pathway to at least the practice squad, if not the 53? I think the 53 would be pretty challenging. because it's a very deep roster. I think it's going to be a challenge even for some of the draft choices to make the roster. But I think if you have to lay odds, so to speak, I think anybody that's an offensive tackle that shows some kind of promise can find their way onto a practice squad. And I think defensive tackle could be a position that could be beneficial in light of what Manny and I were just talking about last segment, you know, with roster, with contracts coming up at the end of the year, all expiring at that position. So somebody like uh, Taryn Vincent, um, you know, the defensive tackle from Ohio State. If he shows well in camp, has a good preseason, he could find his way onto the practice squad. And then the two tackles, the kid from East Carolina, Noah Henderson, and Richard Gouriaj, uh from Florida. So uh, those would be my guys.
2: I think DJ Dale, uh, the defensive tackle out of Alabama, is another guy to watch yep. for just because he played at Alabama and, and he did play in a lot of games. Uh, so somebody to look, look to as well.
1: Yeah, big run-stuffer guy, mm-hmm. good character background on him too. That is it for us on a Friday. Stay dry out there as the rain's already mm. fallen here in Western New York. Maddie and I will be back to see you on Monday. Same bad time, same bad channel. We'll see you at one.